0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist.
1: Featuring all the latest news and insight
0: on the association. Now joining the Big Show, senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: NBA Daily Assist, brought to you by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the Sprint special guest line we go. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability. From The Athletic, he's our good friend Sam Amick. Sam, how are you?
0: Gentlemen, doing just fine. How are you?
1: We're doing great, Sam. And as you predicted last week, uh, your report with Tony uh, Tony Jones and Sham Sharania there at The Athletic certainly um, had an impact on our sports landscape here in Salt Lake City.
0: Well, good. I hope we gave you all something to talk about. I, uh, I enjoyed doing it. I honestly have said this to you guys before that collaborating uh, with other writers is something I hadn't done nearly as much before the Athletic as I do now, and, and uh, they encourage it. And and this is one of those projects where, it, you know, it's an inexact science, but I felt pretty darn good about the, uh, the the whole thing. You know what I mean? There's a lot of layers to that story, and a lot of that stuff had already been talked about and written about. But, you know, I think we, uh, we were able to shed some new light on it too.
2: Yeah, I thought the information about how the Jazz had huddled up to prepare themselves for this kind of uh, thing was really interesting. The detail involved in that really, really did make it clear that the Jazz were probably ahead of the curve. And yet, the irony that one of their players or two of their players tested positive and caused, uh, sparked this whole chain of events thereafter. For
0: sure, Gordon. And, and uh, you know, I thought
2: about one of your parting comments last week when we visited.
0: You, you kind of when I previewed the story, you made a comment about Quinn Snyder in particular. And the fact that, you know, you were aware of a lot of the stuff he had done in advance to help his team. And that, you know, all of that stuff I enjoyed learning about. I enjoyed writing about, I uh, was very grateful to Quinn for being willing to talk. I always enjoy talking to Quinn and we probably visited for almost an hour for this story, Um, obviously over the phone and, you know, his backstory, I just thought, was so fascinating because, you know, being a Seattle native and, and being just a little bit more aware than I think a lot of people in different parts of the country, you know, where you had to really have your eyes open to see this thing coming. Uh, but because of the Seattle, you know, that was the early epicenter in America. And then he had, you know, like the story talks about, his brother Matt has got a specialty food shop in the middle of the Pike Place Market. So he was asking himself similar questions about does he keep his business open. And then they've got this random friendship with the bassist from Pearl Jam, who's, you know, part of their kind of internal uh, kind of workshopping conversations as well. So a lot of layers to it again, uh, you know, and and Austin and I talked off air. I mean, certainly the Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert stuff was front and center and got the most attention. But, um, you know, that was certainly just part of the story.
1: Well, that part of the story has created some anxiety amongst Jazz fans. And uh, Joe Ingles uh, reacted to it as recently today on our air, saying that everything's going to be fine and they're going to work everything out. Rudy Gobert himself uh, reacted to it via Instagram over the weekend, saying that he has spoken to Donovan and uh, that uh, they're going to kind of pull in the same direction. But we haven't really heard from Donovan. What's your, I guess what's your take on the fallout amongst the, the Jazz players themselves? I'm
0: not sure just yet. You know, I mean, again, just chatting with Austin off-air, you know, he mentioned that I haven't seen this personally, but that Donovan visited with the rapper Fat Joe and kind of essentially said he didn't want to talk about the Rudy stuff, but that it was time to get back to work and be on the same page. I mean, um, I just listened. The reporting that that we – that was consistent across the board in doing this story was that it was a very substantive – challenging real dynamic between them and you know i i think that you know it seems like that first conversation that they had might help um but it also seems like both guys are kind of just saying you know we don't have to love each other and, and i've been through this plenty of times you know with other teams whether you know last year you had the chris paul james harden stuff right where they downplayed it they downplayed it they downplayed it next thing you know chris has traded you know, over time, some of the truth comes out. I remember P.J. Tucker telling me back then, like, well, Kobe and Shaq hated each other, and, and they kept winning, which was accurate, but uh, but also um, not exactly a great defense if, if you're trying to act like two guys, you know, aren't kind of at each other's throats. So, you know, we'll see how this develops over time. And the one thing I do think has been under-emphasized, even by us, is that, you know, anybody who thinks that the dynamic – kind of had everything to do with the Cavaliers COVID-19 story that's just not the case they they had tricky elements to their relationship that were basketball related and personality related long before the pandemic so i think it's a combination of those two things
2: the the quote that uh that we've been referring to the one about the, it being unsalvageable Uh, Sam, I've been telling people uh, since I read this story that you guys and and most of the responsible journalists I know don't go around uh, using a quote like that flippantly or without uh, it coming from an important source. Uh, It was later in the story. But, boy, that that's the explosive part to this uh, thing that, uh, like Jake was talking about, caught so many people's attention. Uh, do do you uh, can you add anything to that about how unsalvageable it is? Truthfully, Gordon, not a ton. Uh, and, and I, you know, in the interest of
0: transparency, um, you know, earlier on, I kind of alluded to the inexact science of collaboration, which is to say that, you know, and I don't mind sharing and again, being uh, kind of cards on the table in that part of the story. You know, my reporting, my my uh, contribution was conversations with Joe Ingles, where he, on the record, obviously had a different view, where he said that he thought they could work it out. Now, uh, Tony and Shams both—I'll I'll i can't get into their business, but I'll put it this way: that they 100% were talking to you know the most relevant parties in terms of uh, the respective camps. Um, and, you know, like you said, that sort of a quote isn't used without, you know, spending some time that you want to chew on it and make sure, A, that it's accurate, B, if, if it's salacious or over the top. Um, and I've also it just, it, it never ceases to amaze me just in this business in general that there's this fascinating like mystery that comes with, you know, it, it just, what am I trying to say? It blows me away that an anonymous quote. Nine times out of ten, uh, that the readers and the fans react more strongly to it and find it more interesting than what somebody within the same team might actually say on the record. You know, like, uh, and so you know, I kind of I kind of felt for Joe a little bit because Joe defended his teammates and gave his opinion, made it known, and like I said, that part got forgotten. Um, but. You know, we'll see. Uh, I think that the league is watching this situation now because I know basketball is on hold. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things right now. But I, I do think that Rudy in particular, if this thing didn't get fixed enough, could become the kind of guy that all of a sudden other teams are, are seeing an opportunity there and trying to pry him away. You know, I believe he's got, does he have one year left on his deal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that sound about right, guys? Yep. Yeah. That is you right. know, and and then Donovan's, you know, I believe up for an extension this off-season, whenever that is. And so, um, you know, I think it, the noise and some of the smoke here is more than enough for other teams to, to monitor it and see where it goes.
1: Just an observation on that story, Sam. Uh, I thought you guys captured the anxiety of that night in Oklahoma City really, really well. And one thing I I had not heard as part of that story that I thought was great was that Chris Paul procured some beer and wine to send to the Jazz locker room just to take the edge off in a show of brotherhood. I I thought you guys captured that night really well, that both teams had to have just tremendous anxiety as to what exactly was happening, the fear there. Yeah,
0: no, and I appreciate you saying that, Jake. I'd love that, that anecdote, too. Uh, a quick side story that made me laugh is that, you know, in talking to Quinn, uh, he was, Quinn was the one who gave Chris some credit in our conversation, and he says in the story that, you know, that was one of his neatest parts, is the fact that he did that. Um, and, and he says, well, he brought refreshments. And, and I said, well, what do you mean refreshments? And he said, I have refreshments. And he didn't want to get into it. And I, he kind of made me work for it. And, you know, and so I had to go get that information elsewhere. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Chris, it, it's funny. He's one of those dudes that, you know, you're classic. Like if you play against him, you can't stand him. If he's on your team, you love him. Now, you know, that's normally how he is. This was a unique situation where he obviously decided that, you know, it, there needed to be some sort of gesture of kind of camaraderie and support. You know, he's also the president of the Players Union, and so that's going to be part of his wiring and his fabric. Uh, but no, I thought that was a, a neat thing, and then everything that happened with the hotel situation was pretty wild. You know, they they really did get turned away by multiple hotels, that they were panicking a bit and thought that they were just this traveling band of infected athletes and didn't want to house them, so to speak, and then the Thunder had to pull some strings and get them uh, to a couple of hotels but the main one, the, the resident in by the airport, you know, and then nobody sleeps all night and, and they can't go anywhere and they end up hanging in the lobby until four in the morning because, you know, you, you, the adrenaline's pumping through your veins so, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly a, a lot going on that night.
2: Really were like hostages having to negotiate their own release.
0: <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, and 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 if you I mean, hypotheticals of that night guys are interesting because to your point, Gordon, like if you don't get support from the people back in Salt Lake City with the Jazz who were figuring out planes, figuring out the medical community, you know, um, Angela Dunn, the epidemiologist for, you know, the state of Utah that was part of the support system and all those things, then, you know, if you don't get back to Salt Lake City the next day and you might not get back for two weeks. And that might not sound like the end of the world, but it's just not what any of them really wanted. Um, you might be stuck in OKC for a while. And even more importantly, um, something that, again, we probably underemphasized is that the, the coordination between the Jazz and the Thunder to make sure that game didn't actually start came in the absence of uh, a real declarative decision from the NBA. I mean, that was... Sam Presti and Dennis Lindsay working in concert to give the NBA time and and kind of unilaterally deciding to delay the game. And and the point that has been made to me is, like, you know, because we later found out that Donovan had tested positive, who knows what might have happened if you played just one quarter of that game. You know what I mean? If Donovan shared that ball with a bunch of guys, then maybe you, you know, kind of the the spread – Grows even from there. So um, kudos to both organizations for making the best of a tough situation.
1: I know this is expanding it, uh, the story onto a grand level, but is it a, a testament to the power of sports that that night, that incident, really kicked the country in the butt to start taking this thing more seriously and taking more, um, you know, drastic measures to to combating it? It seems like that event triggered that change in the world, or am I overselling that? No, I
0: think you're right, Uh, and I've thought about that. You know, I think that is the case. And and You know, for a minute I thought maybe it was being overstated what I learned about, like, the Pearl Jam subplot. And even, uh, I started looking at other entertainers who had to make similar decisions. And, like, Pearl Jam actually postponed its tour in North America two days before the NBA shut down. So for a minute I was thinking, well, do... Entertainment entities like that deserve more credit, but the obvious difference is that just the scope of the NBA from an entertainment standpoint, the number of cities you're talking about, the number of games, the number of teams, um, you know, it's a difference between a you know a massive cruise ship coming to a halt, you know, and a smaller little tugboat for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, Pearl Jam's amazing, but it's still one band going, you know, one show at a time. I do think that the nba just coming to a close is was uh the tipping point for a lot of other entities where they had to look at it and say okay this is you know this is the end of things as we knew them
2: sam i don't want to blow the cover on you but you're a pretty mentally sound person uh and we've known you for a long time And I consider Jake to be of the same ilk, and uh, I'd like to fancy myself as also being somewhat uh, strong mentally. But I'm telling you, I think all three of us, this is edged up on us uh, as time goes by. Have you gotten a sense from the players or other people involved in the league around the country how they're holding up in, in that regard?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like everybody's doing okay. Um, and apologies. I I caught most of that Gordon's technology just failed me. I had to transition to the phone here. Um, yeah, and I, I, I think people are, what I keep talking to people about is how it's like, now it's a little eerie because the new routine doesn't feel so new anymore. Um, you know, and, and it's like phase two of this thing and who knows how long it lasts. I mean, I wrote a story today about the rising optimism within the NBA that they're going to salvage this season in some form. But um, folks seem to be doing okay. You know, I mean, listen, most of us, I mean, this sports media industry is, is getting battered pretty good uh, by this. And, and honestly, you know, I'm thankful to be mean, our, our business model subscription is is a, a little more kind of pandemic proof than an advertising based model, which is the vast majority of sports media. So, You know, I hate seeing colleagues and friends who might get furloughed or might get laid off. You know, that stuff's tough. So those folks, you know, are struggling through. But within the league, the coaches, the players, the PR people, um, you know, it's a case-by-case basis. But for the most part, doing okay. I think one of the takeaways that has surprised me is uh, I had this naive kind of assumption that if anything like this ever happened, that because of the wealth of the players, that – You know, somehow, some way, they would find a way to not only stay in shape but to play hoop. And I don't really like know. You know, I I never quite figured out the logistics of that in my head and why I had that assumption. But that part keeps surprising me when you see interviews with players who just readily admit, like, "No, you don't get it. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gaining weight. I'm out of shape." You know, uh, Patty Mills did a podcast with Howard Beck from Bleacher Report the other day, and he joked about. Uh, Patty joked about how air balls, you know, are going to have to be uh, accepted for a little while. The fans are going to have to be patient because these guys haven't shot the ball. Um, so that part is just you keep using that word surreal. You know, that's pretty wild that this is what they do for a living, and uh, and because of the restrictions, they obviously they just they can't even get the, the lightest bit of working.
1: Sam, uh, getting away from uh, that topic for a moment, are you excited for this Michael Jordan documentary coming out this weekend?
0: Yeah, for sure. No, I'm fired up. Um, kind of wish I, I mean, I didn't really write anything about it. I'm still uh, excited to read, and I would heavily encourage others to read um, a piece that we have on our site. Joe Varden, another national writer at our place, collected a ton of stories from uh, people about meeting MJ for the first time. And, um, and I haven't, again, I haven't read it yet, but I've heard it's really good, and it's I'm sure it's going to take me back to my childhood because, I mean, I was a 80s kid who was on the Warriors bandwagon for a while. I think I told you guys this. You know, then they they kind of faded out, and, and Michael took over the basketball world. And I was a huge MJ fan. I was a big MJ kid. In fact, just the other day, in my uh, my my pandemic time killing, I was uh, looking at old pictures and found an old shot of like I don't know, 15, 14 year old Sam, with a, a Michael Jordan shirt on. And I used to have a, a binder. Um, back, you know, before the the Internet, a binder where I would photocopy every single Michael Jordan article that I could come across, you know, SI, um, Sport Magazine, whatever it might be. And I had what was probably like a 700-page, you know, Xerox photocopy binder full of nothing but Michael Jordan stories. And I would just, I would read every word I possibly could Uh, from whoever was, you know, telling his tale. So I think it's going to be great for the obvious reason that he has kept his own truth and his own story so close to the vest for so long. He just doesn't share. You know what I mean? Like if you, just a quick parallel, if you compare Michael to LeBron, because we always have that debate, best player ever. Yeah. I mean, LeBron's giving you 30 Instagram videos a day of his daily life. Um, You know, first of all, Michael never had that choice. Second of all, he never would have used it. And then way beyond that, like, he doesn't even grant interviews to tell you about his mentality during his career. You know, I saw the other day that he was quoted as saying that that people are going to think he's a bad person after watching this documentary, and it's pretty clear that his drop-the-mic moment, no pun intended, is like, you know, just
2: six rings. What else are you going to say? Like, he got the job done, and so, yeah, I think it's going to be... Really, really good. Do you think Sam and your experience in interviewing NBA players that that the great ones have that kind of competitive thirst that is almost maladjusted? It sounds funny, but oh, for sure, for, yeah,
0: yeah. I, in fact, um, a little bit of a melancholy thing here, guys. Like I, to your question, Gordon, I thought about Kobe the other day, and it's like I actually would love to do a piece. If I can get cooperation, you know, collecting similar type stories from Kobe when it comes to like the now that he's been gone for a minute, you know, when somebody passes, you you, you typically stick, you know, you stick to the uh, just the rosy stories and the rosy stuff, um, you know, but I almost think it's a, a disservice to the legacy or the kind of the memory of athletes like Michael and Kobe where you know, like Kobe was wired in a similar type of way. You can, you can find teammates that will say, yeah, there was that one time in practice when he, he you know, screened somebody so hard and deliberately put his shoulder right in their face to so send him a message and put him on the floor and everybody in the room was sitting there going, what the F is wrong with you? And then, you know, a few months later when you saw that particular teammate playing with a little more toughness and a little more grit, you know, then you kind of saw the kind of the mad scientist element in it all so yeah the great ones have that I mean and there's a fine line there I mean it's uh the winning is the great equalizer well you know if you if you add rings to it then it's going to get lauded and celebrated as we look back on it if if you act that way and don't get the results then you're just a you know you're just a malcontent and a bad guy uh and that's the harsh reality of pro sports being a results-based business but um, yeah, and that's the thing. Is with this documentary, you, the, the previews that I've seen and the stories I've read, it's pretty clear you're going to get a healthy dose of, you know, the kind of the, the unsanitized stuff.
1: Sam, thank you as always for jumping on with us. We always look forward to it, and thanks for providing a little depth to that, uh, that story you guys did a, a wonderful job on last week. We really appreciate it.
0: You got it. Appreciate you guys. Talk to you next week.
1: Thanks, Sam. The great Sam Emick from The Athletic. And I'll tell you what, Gordon, Sam is, is truly never to be missed. I mean, he's always, always good. But I I loved him going kind of through that story with us uh, from top to bottom and, and kind of giving us, like I said, a little depth to it. I thought that was really, really good.
2: Yeah, Sam's one of the best. He's a pro. And these so are the other guys who wrote that story. Tony certainly shams. I mean, as I said, uh, I found that even though we knew a lot of the detail of as far as what happened to the jazz because of people we had talked with on the show and off the show about the process, it was it was interesting the way they put that all together. And then, of course, like we talked about, the source, the unnamed source, that some people were discounting. I never discounted it. I, I, I think somebody important really said that. And I think they said that to one of those three pros, and that they measured it and used it. Uh, and and uh, it's legitimate. I, I think it was legitimate. Now, it, like you said, it's a moving target because these things change. But at one point, somebody important felt that way. And, and why did they feel that way, Jake? Because somebody told them they felt that way. Right.
1: All right, we'll have more coming up straight ahead. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.